Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information and advisory services partner for emerging market executives. We partner with business leaders at over 215 multinationals by providing them with insights, analytical tools, and data that help inform and power their emerging markets growth strategy. The focus of today's podcast is FSG's 2017 Global Outlook, which is hot off the presses. My name is Richard Leggett, and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group, and I'm joined today by Antonio Martinez, the leader of FSG's Global Economics Practice. As a reminder, this research and all of our content is available to FSG clients via our Frontier View platform. Antonio, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Rich. This is a super timely discussion given that many of our clients are finalizing their strategic plans for 2017, and uh, it's an important time of the year, obviously, ahead of the U.S. elections. We have a lot of ground to cover, and we'll try to do it over the next 15 minutes. And obviously, we'll only be able to scratch the surface of this in-depth analysis. But I thought we could break the discussion into three parts. First of all, we'll focus on the global outlook and the key headlines. Then we'll take an around-the-world tour, Antonio, and and hit the regional highlights, and then wrap up with management imperatives. Does that sound good? Sounds great. All right. Take a deep breath, because here we go. Uh, Let's get started with the global headlines. In your report, you argue that a new era is dawning for emerging market executives. What exactly do you mean by that statement? What we would say is that uh, this new era is one where emerging markets are not simply about uh, basically growth plays for, for multinationals, but also ones where the expectation is that both growth and profitability uh, is what emerging markets need to drive for, for multinationals. And when we look at you know, we do expect growth uh, to improve from, from the average of 4.1% to 4.6% uh, for emerging markets. But even so, uh, multinationals need to basically be very clear that um, in terms of their portfolios, in terms of the operational excellence that is, that is expected in these markets, they need to manage their business uh, looking at both the top line and the bottom line, much more so than, say, four or five years ago. Antonio, you discussed two primary globals, uh, global drivers for emerging market executives. The first is the impact of developed market politics, and the second is divergent emerging market market conditions. Let's spend time on the first one, and then we'll jump to the second one. Let's talk about developed market politics. What I can tell you in terms of the, the importance of developed market politics, and what we mean by here is the increasing uh, ability of, let's just say, uh, events in developed markets, whether you're talking about the U.S., uh, market in Europe, uh, or even Japan, uh, is that basically the economic stagnation that we've been seeing for a while now coming out of those markets where we expect growth, even when you look at all developed markets, well below 2%, uh, is driving the let's just say, increasing backlash against globalization uh, with Canada, with uh, situations such as the Brexit vote earlier this year and the current candidacy of Donald Trump uh, driving a lot of financial volatility, a lot of investor uncertainty, um, which we see that in everything from the Mexican peso to uh, basically the, the economic growth forecast for uh, even you know, Central and Eastern Europe. And that, that in turn leads to potentially a anti-globalization rhetoric. Yeah, both rhetoric and hopefully not next year when we have several elections, the actual uh, beginning of implementation of policies that uh, which will be highly disruptive, um, both uh, for developed market multinationals operating in emerging markets, especially from a trade, from a labor mobility standpoint, 
uh, and obviously also it would include uh, from an, just a plain uh, market demand standpoint. So that is something that companies need to be, be following very, very closely, much more closely than they have in the past. Uh, essentially, the, the basic issue is that political risk matters, uh, not just in emerging markets. And Antonio, you discussed divergent emerging market market conditions, and specifically that certain markets are more resilient to external shocks. Uh, what Which markets are these? Well, we will look at and basically what we've been seeing over the last few years, because as we all know, the drivers of emerging market growth uh, have been, let's just say, weakened over the last few years, whether you're talking about commodity prices, whether you are seeing uh, basically growth driven by Chinese growth, for, in, for instance. What we see is that markets that are, let's just say, relatively better prepared to manage uh, shocks, external shocks to their markets, as well as better prepared from a I would say an economic governance standpoint, or at least more willing to pursue uh, the right kind of adjustment measures, are better placed to grow over the next few years. And some of these markets uh, where we see we remain very bullish are markets such as, from one end, uh, markets such as India and Indonesia that have shown uh, relative uh, resilience uh, to slowing Chinese demand, uh, and as well as other other growth drivers, and also better governance measures, better, more of a pro-reform, pro-liberalization. Uh, approach to growth. And we'll get into some of this as we go through the regional uh, outlooks and, and also in the report, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, in-depth analysis on the resilient markets. But let's, let's jump right in then and discuss the global demand environment. You mentioned the headlines, an improvement from 4.1% to 4.6% growth in 2017 for emerging markets. What's primarily behind that improvement? What we've seen in terms of that improvement uh, is, like you say, marginal uh, forecasted improvements in commodity prices, um, as well as just the recovery from a state of recession towards mild growth in markets such as Brazil and Russia. That's what, to a certain extent, is driving that growth. Um, in terms of an engine of growth coming from the what you can call the, the major economic engines of the world, which are markets such as the, you know, the Euro, Eurozone, uh, the United States, uh, China, and Japan. Um, what we can say is at least we're, we're seeing slowing growth uh, coming from China, and we're seeing basically stagnant uh, growth of less than 2% is our expectation uh, for the U.S., uh, Europe, and Japan over the next uh, next year. Uh, so it's not necessarily demand driven by the major markets, but basically growth in a few of what we might call uh, uh, adjusting or improving uh, emerging markets. All right, and let's talk about some of these global drivers. So first of all, Antonio, can you give us your headlines on your outlook for monetary policy? Because that's a big storyline and drives ultimately demand in emerging markets. Uh, what we would say is that a big reason why uh, for many uh, multinationals uh, margins and the protection of margins has been very difficult has been that there's been increasing depreciation pressure along almost most emerging market currencies, and that's been driven by uh, basically a tightening policy uh, in the U.S., uh, and we expect that to continue, although to remain, let's just say, on a very slow, relatively slow trajectory over the coming years, uh, but still in that direction. Other markets, uh, such as what we can call the European Central Bank or Japan, uh, though they've had, let's just say, at best mixed experience or mixed impact from uh, unorthodox monetary policies such as negative interest rates, uh, we do expect them to remain uh, very low, and that's going to create, let's just say, a significant amount of, of divergence. 
which obviously has impacts on U.S. and European multinationals in very different ways. What's your outlook for the U.S. dollar? Um, we saw a lot of depreciation of emerging market currencies against the dollar, and things have somewhat recovered. Do you expect another leg down? And if so, how sharp? I would say uh, the expectation should be that the dollar will, um, in fits and starts, uh, be moving in a strengthening direction. A lot, of, a lot of this will be driven by U.S. monetary policy. Um, and even as the U.S. is only growing in a, say, slightly below 2%, um, we do expect that that process is going to continue, uh, and that's going to lead towards a, let's just say, more, more gradual rather than uh, disruptive uh, strengthening of the, the dollar against emerging market currencies. But that is something multinationals need to start, let's just say, protecting themselves or shielding, or shielding themselves from uh, over the coming year. And another big driver that we've seen kind of shake the markets here and there has been oil prices. Uh, what's your outlook, Antonio, over the next uh, 12 to 18 months for the range of oil prices? And, and is that a straight line or will that also be volatile? Um, we expect uh, that uh, oil prices will be marginally higher than they have been so far this year. So far this year, if you look at the average, uh, oil prices have been around 42 to 44 dollars. Uh, we expect over the next year, the next 12, 18 months, that oil prices will shoot up towards closer to uh, the $50 range. Um, you might have noticed that we heard about a, an agreement between OPEC and Russia to uh, marginally cut uh, oil prices, I mean, oil production. Uh, what I would say is that uh, the stabilization impact of that, even if, if it actually comes to fruition over the, uh, over the next few months, is that it will just stabilize oil prices uh, well below $60 a barrel, and we expect uh, somewhere between 45 to 55 over the coming year. Okay. Let's, uh, let's now turn our attention and, and try to do the impossible and take a world tour in the next four to five minutes and share the headlines. And, and I think we'll start in Asia Pacific. Uh, this is one of the global growth engines, and you expect that to continue. You expect above average growth uh, driven by China, India, and the ASEAN markets. Quick headlines there in terms of growth and, and drivers. We expect growth to actually, even as China is uh, slowing uh, gradually, uh, at least at this point, we expect growth to go from 46 to 4.8% uh, across the region. What will be driving that uh, will be markets such as India, uh, where we do expect a slight improvement in growth next year from 76 to 7.7%. We do expect Indonesia uh, to continue to strengthen its growth, uh, its growth path. Uh, as well as other ASEAN markets, with the obvious exception of certain markets, such as Thailand, uh, where we might see uh, potential for political unrest uh, driving down growth there. So emerging Asia is certainly going to be pushing growth higher, um, while developed Asia will continue to be a laggard. And, you, and you're not worried about a hard landing in 2017 in China? Um, hard landing is still one uh, a scenario that we are looking at very closely. I think the major concern remains more on the lines of uh, just the uh, the increasing leverage, uh, you know, highly leveraged uh, environment for the Chinese uh, Chinese economy as a whole, and that's going to drive underperformance uh, more gradually over the next coming year. But yeah, the risk remains very high of a hard landing. So China, you've got a six point three percent growth for twenty seventeen, and you'd say your your bias is is to the downside there. Absolutely. Okay, let's go to Western Europe, where you're you're expecting a slight improvement, uh, but but headlines will be dominated by politics and continued weakness in the banking sector. 
I would say the, the slight improvement will be just more of the same in the economy, even as we see as a bit of a dip next year, mostly driven from by the, by the UK economy, um, which is mostly going to be impacted by uh, the potential for a hard exit there, hard exit from the Eurozone. Uh, we do see political risk, both in elections in Germany and France, uh, which I would say most multinationals should be paying attention to next year. Uh, and, but that is what's going to undermine any attempt to move the direction of the Eurozone uh, towards a higher growth path in the short term. Now, a bright spot in, in the European portfolio, I was just in London for one of our executive roundtable events, and it was very clear that one of the big bright spots was Central Europe. Absolutely. Uh, when we see out of Central Europe is, uh, you know, when you look at the overall growth rate, basically next year it's going to remain static around 3.4%. Uh, what we do see is, a, let's just say, in enviable stability uh, and resilient consumer demand, resilient investor demand, invest, investment levels. And when you look at markets such as Poland, where we remain relatively uh, bullish, as well as other markets such as Hungary, uh, which though obviously if you're paying attention to the politics there is growing, are growing increasingly contentious, uh, we do expect from a demand standpoint multinationals to be well-placed to at least offer some level of prioritization to Central Europe. And we expect some, some recovery in Turkey as well. Absolutely. Turkey um, has had as as you know, a significant amount of uh, political instability, uh, particularly the attempted coup, uh, and, but we do expect uh, that economic activity should rebound next year, going from around 3.4% this year to 3.8% next year. Let's turn to the CIS markets, and I think the big headline here is Russia coming out of recession, although not returning to high growth levels, but that, that's a big driver of our, of our global growth forecast to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what we see in CIS is essentially after two years of recession, the, the, the markets are moving towards a, a level of, uh, let's just say, a modicum of growth. But when you look at the markets, uh, even with a Russia recovering to something closer to 1% rather than a 1% contraction, uh, what we do see is that these are very dependent oil markets. Oil markets depend significantly uh, on oil prices, and we do not expect uh, robust recoveries just across these markets, whether you're talking about Azerbaijan, uh, Belarus, or Kazakhstan uh, over the coming year. Uh, so still a difficult region, um, but again, I would say most, com most uh, multinationals operating are just looking forward to even a modicum of a return to growth out of Russia. Okay, and let's, we've got three more regions to cover. Let's try to do them quickly. Middle East, North Africa. Here we're looking at uh, reform agendas that will create more challenging conditions for multinationals operating in the region, but still relatively solid growth. Yes, I would say I mean, many of these markets have been blessed by uh, actually accumulating significant uh, foreign exchange reserves during the oil boom. Um, we do expect growth to come up from 2.4% uh, this year to 3% next year. Uh, that, that improvement will be driven by, uh, let's just say, hopefully significant uh, reforms, uh, you know, not driven necessarily by public, public spending, but yes, private sector and consumption uh, improvements. Uh, when we look at it, when you're looking at a medium term to long term, we need to see reform coming out of Egypt. We need to see reform coming out of Saudi Arabia. Those two markets, as well as other markets such as Iran, need to be moving in a, in a, in a direction towards, uh, let's just say, uh, a more sustainable growth model. Um, we expect 
modest, uh, we would expect at least some reform uh, coming from these two markets, modest improvements, and that should at least bode well for the region, although long-term uh, structural reforms still remain uh, a question mark. Okay, and then Sub-Saharan Africa, where we see, I'd say, divergent market improvements across uh, the various countries, but overall a good growth story. Yeah, still a growth story. I mean, it is if you're looking at the the opportunity going from a 1.9% growth to somewhere closer to 3.1%. Uh, the big question mark to Sub-Saharan Africa is that some of the biggest markets, most important markets uh, for many multinationals, such as South Africa and Nigeria, will remain, uh, even as we see slightly improved growth in our forecast for next year, remain uh, seriously underperforming relative to expectations. That's caused more and more multinationals to really look at their portfolio in the region, look at what the winners and losers are in Sub-Saharan Africa. And one that we keep hearing more and more about is Kenya. Uh, and that is one that uh, I think many multinationals, even as political risk remains uh, a question mark, uh, especially with elections there, uh, we do expect to see uh, significant above average growth uh, coming from that market and a few others in Eastern uh, Africa. And this is where that resilience index comes into play, and you can really you can really seek out the winners and losers. Let's let's wrap up with Latin America, uh, where we see uh, an improvement. Um, again, not necessarily a sharp improvement, but but really driven primarily by Brazil coming out of recession. In your view, yeah, like CIS, uh, Latin America is moving from several years of recession uh, towards, in our expectation, a return to growth. Uh, and it's a growth rate. It'll be mostly driven at, by Brazil, um, to a lesser extent, Argentina, uh, coming back from recessions this year towards, let's just say, very mediocre growth next year. Uh, so if you're looking at Argentina and Brazil, it's basically coming to growth somewhere between 1% and 2%, which, while unlikely to fuel significant uh, improvement in private consumption or in those two markets, uh, still facing significant austerity measures, but should at least be driven by an imp- slightly improving export story and a significantly improving uh, investment story uh, in those two markets. Uh, the rest of the region should exude at the very least uh, some level of improvement in growth. Um, so we see growth in Colombia move from low, in the low twos to the high twos, uh, as well as other markets like Mexico, um, which haven't really have haven't really been able to pull up uh, above three percent growth. Still moving in a direction towards offering stability uh, within uh, their LATAM portfolios. And of course, uh, of, of all the regions, Latin America has the most uh, potential risk with the U.S. election results. But for now, you're assuming kind of a, a, a status quo base case. Yes, uh, our status quo base case is probably still for a uh, president. Hillary Clinton um, being president next year. Uh, but if you're looking at Latin America as a whole and Latin America and even specifically Mexico, um, the like, the potential for significant FX volatility and even economic impact should not be discounted uh, if the non-base scenario uh, occurs. Okay. Antonio, third part of the, the discussion, and we won't have a lot of time for this, and there's a lot of depth in your analysis, but I do think it's always important to answer the so what, now what questions as it relates to management implications from all of this. So I realize we just kind of toured the world very, very quickly and only at a surface level, but you, you do talk about four priority actions that emerging market executives should undertake in 2017 as it relates to running their businesses. 
And I thought we could maybe at least hit the high points of each of those. So there's two that are bucketed under what we would consider fundamental assumptions. Let's start there, market prioritization and value proposition. Yes, what we can point to from a market prioritization standpoint is something we've been talking about today. It really is uh, the basic challenge is that many uh, emerging market, multi uh, multinationals operating in emerging markets assume more continuity than change in terms of which are the markets that offer the biggest and most, uh, I should say, resilient opportunity. Uh, what we've been recommending for clients is to comprehensively rebalance their portfolio towards more resilient markets and really do this, make sure you're doing this exercise on at least an annual basis, uh, revisiting your assumptions around uh, what, bring, what are the markets to focus on, uh, and also focus on pursuing the subnational pockets of opportunity. Just because we think at this point that uh, you know, maybe uh, a recovery in Brazil or uh, improving or in Russia, or let's just say continued growth in China and India, the best way to maximize your chance of growth is to really look at where that growth is coming from, where that opportunity uh, is going to come from over the next few years. Um, from a value proposition standpoint, what we are talking here mostly about is around the role of pricing, uh, which is often met based on very old assumptions around customers' ability and willingness to pay, uh, and as well as the local competitiveness of your, your company's products. Um, when you're seeing the level of currency depreciation, as we've seen among many emerging markets, and when I talk to clients, this is certainly top of mind, the issue is, okay, how do you protect margin or how do you continue sales, uh, improve sales growth? Uh, you really have to refocus on what the value proposition is of your company, your company's products, your company's services uh, within uh, emerging markets. Ensure that you are capturing the right local insights into those pricing decisions and make sure that you are adjusting all of the different ways that uh, bottlenecks around making those quick changes uh, to improve your, your chances of growth. And you go through in some detail with some best practices and some uh, proven frameworks for each of those. On the other side, we talk about uh, in investing in underdeveloped capabilities. And you talk about two primary areas, one of the biggest undermanaged areas being the channel. And 63% uh, of our clients' revenue in these markets comes through indirect channels. So this is a really important and huge opportunity to improve growth, profit, and market share. Absolutely. And we've heard over and over again, when I, when I talk to clients, when anybody in, uh, at Frontier Strategy who talks to, to customers, what we see is that basically uh, channel management, it needs to be uh, both in terms of the margin impact, but also the potential for growth uh, is absolutely vital. Uh, and when we look at what they need to do, uh, we hear a little bit in terms of whether or not companies are, have the right distributors. And even if those distributors, you have the right distributors, whether they have the right capabilities to continue to grow. We've talked about how customer uh, spending habits are going to change uh, as kind of global growth dynamics change across uh, your market, emerging markets portfolio. And we also talk about uh, the importance of making sure that you know, channel management, you professionalize channel management. It isn't something where it's you know, the, the right, the same, it's not the same skill set as having very strong sales, uh, sales managers or salespeople. Uh, as it is to manage those relationships with those distributors or managing your overall channel. So I think that's absolutely vital that companies need to think about. 
And then finally, uh, one thing we know for certain is that whatever we think the global outlook is for next year, it won't be a straight line to get there. There'll be a lot of volatility and there'll be a lot of needs for making course corrections. And so you argue in your research that uh, a fundamental core competency that our clients need to invest in is their market monitoring capabilities. Absolutely. Uh, what we see is that uh, companies tend to underinvest in bottoms up market monitoring and that the processes that they need uh, that they have in place are not ones that actually make all of this, you know, ba basically market monitoring, all this analysis of the uh, your market drivers uh, allows for actually a quick and well-aligned course correction. Um, what we see is the importance of actually monitoring the leading indicators for your market, doing it in a, an appropriate cadence uh, with, with, your, with your local teams, with corporate, uh, and that companies leverage their basically forward-looking dashboards as they are uh, you know, using and making sure that they are uh, leading, uh, they are following the leading indicators of, of their business rather than say being too late to actually make the changes they need to make. So not only uh, using time it, to hit their targets. Yeah, not only using internal information, but, but using external information. There's a very detailed market monitoring uh, best practices report that FSG has published uh, about a month ago that uh, I'd encourage all of our listeners to listen to. Antonio, I think we're up against time now. So I want to thank you uh, for this excellent and insightful discussion. Obviously, we barely scratched the surface here, and, and the analysis is, uh, is excellent, and I encourage all of our listeners to read the Global Outlook and all of our global economics work. And more importantly, as a reminder, FSG clients can speak to Antonio or any member of the FSG research team at any time by scheduling time via your FSG client relationship director. You can also access all of our research, Frontier Data Leading Indicator Data, and all of FSG's content using our Frontier View platform and our newly released Frontier View dashboards tool. This concludes our podcast. Until next time, we wish you great outperformance across your emerging market portfolio.